passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. It is Wednesday, September the 6th. I am John Pollock, joined as always by Brandon Thurston of Trade Journal Russell Nomics, who is here with us, fresh off his tour of the the Midwest that took him to Pittsburgh, to yes. Chicago, and back to Took Buffalo. all day to recover. I am now mostly recovered, and I'm ready to talk about the news. Yes, we're going to get into all of it and, uh, and Brandon's travels. Two events, one press conference. Maybe he will, uh, he will, he will go into that as well, but a different format today. We don't have a guest on the show. So we do have no shortage of topics that we are going to get into, but we also want to turn it over to you. So if throughout the hour you want to drop in a super chat, you can take us off into any tangent you would like by submitting a question. We will get to it and you, we will be monitoring it throughout the hour. So you are free to submit whatever super chats you so desire to get into the mind of Brandon Thurston and then get um my, my two cents as well, or at least uh, a joke at the end of it. Brandon, you are back. Yes. It is a huge weekend or was a huge weekend for both WWE and AEW. And I think we should start with, well, where do you want to go? Do you want to go in, in order of uh, payback to All Out? Tell sure. us about the weekend and what you took out from it being uh, on the ground for both of these shows. Uh, Pittsburgh. It was a quiet weekend overall, very quiet Saturday afternoon, no yeah. alarming press releases that got dropped hours before collision. Yeah. As I, you know, I, I talked with you guys, um, right after payback, I rushed back to, to my hotel room in Pittsburgh. Um, I mean, payback was, was a pretty good show. The crowd was a little tired for the last two matches. Like I said, the cage match with Trish and Becky was very good. Um, full crowd. Um, the WrestleTix number, I, and I do I have any of that information, or do you have that the the press release that they put out for Payback? This was interesting. They so WrestleTix, their final number was thirteen thousand fourteen. On the broadcast, Michael Cole announced fourteen thousand five eighty four, which is our usual like two thousand or so uh, increase. But then WWE put out a press release on Monday announcing twelve thousand four hundred and sixty eight. Not going with the on-screen "quote-unquote" entertainment number, right? And I asked, "Is is this the number of tickets sold?" I asked, "W is this number of tickets sold? Is this the drop count?" And I didn't get a response yet. Um, so I'm guessing it's one of those two. Um, it could be tickets distributed. It wouldn't be ridiculous for for Russell tickets to be off by like 500 in tickets distributed. Um, but it appears to be a much much more honest number than 
than any event that I can think of. I can think of a 2008 WrestleMania where they published what seems to be the, the paid attendance in a, in a filing in 2008. Uh, but that's, that's the only one I can think of. That's, that seems are, to be are as we, are we entering like, has, has the <laughs> AEW versus WWE war entered the, uh, the honest with the public period? When it comes yes. to attendance figures, are we getting more of a legitimate number? I mean, WWE here contradicting their own on-screen announcement. You know, <laughs> I'm stunned at this. I, like, I know someone made a mistake here. That's, um, a, that's a difference of almost two thousand between their announced Michael Cole attendance and and the press release attendance. So, yeah, yeah um, the WWE payback uh, press release. It also, I mean, featured that that viewership was up thirty six percent from the previous payback record in two thousand sixteen. Which, I mean, you're comparing. I mean, one being the WWE network of 2016 versus the, the Peacock subscriber era right. of today. So whatever those numbers are, are, will we get to a point where we get hard numbers from WWE in these press releases? Do we get away from percentages? Probably not, unless there's a real third party collecting data on this, like Nielsen someday. And, and that's, that's not happening in the foreseeable future. They're doing some of that for NFL streaming. That's it at this point. So that was payback. It was, you know, overall, I think it was a, a good show for the company. And I mean, business wise, very strong numbers, but a lot of the attention was more so on the results that would come out of all out. This being their second event in as many weekends. And for this one, uh, we saw a uh, wrestle ticks with a final number of 9,826 tickets distributed. Um, which would be well above last year. Last year it was 9,039. However, the difference in gate is, certainly favors last year's number. Uh, Tony Khan estimated around $800,000 for this year's gate. Last year, they did top uh, a million for All Out at, that would have been the now arena, correct? Right, yeah. Yes. Yeah, and this is at the United Center. Um, so I guess higher ticket prices for that event. I mean, this is a bigger event, bigger venue to, to fill. Um, yeah. Pardon the pun. Right. Uh, he said he, he, one notable thing from the press conference is that he all but said in a very Tony Khan way, he had to talk around a lot of things. I'm, I'm guessing he was referring to didn't want to say that the Democratic National Convention will be at the United Center in late August. I mean, that's not Labor Day, but I that seems to be what he was talking around. He was you know, sort of jokingly saying things about the Secret Service. Can we can we say that he was talking to Raphael Morphy, uh, who's a live events executive. Um, so I'm. I'm Apparently, that's going to interfere with AEW's ability to do all in at the United Center next year. So it's I, he basically said it's going to be at the Now Arena instead. And that would also uh, dovetail with the estimated pay-per-view figures. And all that we have gleaned so far was Tony Khan of the belief that they were going to top 100,000 buys, which, again, this was the night of the event. So you're largely going off of what your digital, what your digital numbers would inform you of without getting, I would say, a hard number when it comes to traditional pay-per-view buys that early on. But if you take that at face value and this tops 100,000 buys, first of all, what what are you estimating All In has performed at? Do you have a Based on Tony's sense? comments alone, um, he has said that it's going to be either the second or the third highest. So it's going to be below 200,000 all out 2021. But it's that it probably means it's around 165, something in that neighborhood, um, to be the second or the third. Um, I think 170 is, there's a revolution 2022, I believe, did about, did about that. So it's going it, to, he's based on his comments, he's saying it's in the high hundred thousands. Um, so let's say 165 plus a hundred over two pay-per-views that sort of averages out to like 130 ish. So that's, 
you know, what these pay-per-views in the trailing several have, have done. So it, it, it's, it's pretty, a pretty heavy ask on the consumer to ask them to buy, to spend $50 on consecutive weekends, but you ended up with a result that put you at about where it was going to be. If you did these a month apart, I guess, let's say, um, all in was a special event though, in terms of being this huge stadium event, which was, a, a real big deal the first time in the UK and that that added a lot of the value that's not going to be repeatable next year when they do this again. Yeah, it's certainly it's going to be the, the repeat of this next year. I think like the all in brand feels very significant coming out of this particular show. Um, what we will see next year, like what 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 that means a year removed. I think there's there, there's honestly like the, this big buzz of what just happened that there feels as though almost like you want to capitalize on this as soon as possible. Like does this, uh, will, will the memories of this event transfer over, you know, six, eight months from now when tickets go on sale and AEW is probably in another phase of where uh, the company is in now, but at least on pay-per-view, I think this would tell you that there is at least enough of an audience willing to buy shows on back-to-back weekends that Tony's desire to create these, the bank holiday in England and then, piggyback off of Labor Day weekend the next weekend uh, was worth the risk, even though it is uh, probably like all out did you, you did lose what that show would have done on its own without another pay-per-view seven days prior. It would have, I, I imagine if, you know, let's say there was no all in this year and it was just all out and this card had a, a stronger card because the matches that happened at all, all in could have happened at all out to some degree. Then it, it probably ends up doing like 140 or something like that, I guess in, in the range of what the, the other pay-per-views have been doing. So, yeah. Um, I'll talk about all in attendance. I have some, some things to share about that. Uh, Let's take a that, look at attendance. Uh, so as, as we know, they, they announced 81,035 for the paid attendance. And that, that does, I, I can't rule out. I mean, Tony Khan and, and others have said this very matter of factly as if it's obvious and clear to everyone. Um, I can't, I can't rule out that it is the highest paid attendance verifiable, uh, in wrestling history, right? That's what they're saying. Um, it's probably higher than WrestleMania 32. It's probably higher than WrestleMania, uh, th- three. I could see WrestleMania three being, being higher, but we've, I've talked enough about that, but I did go through, um, I've the been working pro, the with, pro, the pro. <laughs> I love, so, I love this. So I've been, I've been trying to help Mr. WrestleTix, uh, estimate a tickets distributed number for all in. And, uh, so I, I've had to be, had to draw numbers on, on the section numbers onto a lot of these sections to try to figure out what the tickets distributed is. Um, and basically based on trying to estimate what the production kills are here, which is what these black curtains are that we see over here in sort of the, the end zone area. It's probably completely wrong to call something in Wembley stating the end zone, right? But, but anyway, we just um, lost a continent with that comment, but that's okay. <laughs> but based on this, this is just, this is not the official WrestleTix number that, that hopefully will be coming out soon. But just based on the production kills that I estimated, I, I get a number less than 81,000, uh, about a thousand less, right? Just about a thousand less, uh, 900 less, I guess, 80,135. And so I have to assume that if, if this number is, is, is correct and I, I, feel like it's credible, uh, it has to include suites. So <clears throat> I have, people have asked me, have you asked the police yet? Have you asked the London police yet? And I did. Um, and what did they say? I would like to read it. Uh, so I asked the, the London police and they said, we're the city of London police. Uh, so cover, 
So we cover policing in the square mile, which I had to look up what, what, uh, this spokesperson meant by the square mile, which I guess is like a certain region of, of downtown London or something. I'm sure UK listeners are, are, are yelling at us. Um, and I'd suggest speaking to Wembley Stadium if you have questions about an event they hosted. Okay. So I emailed Wembley Stadium or actually I emailed the PR agency that represents Wembley Stadium. And they said, as with all events at the venue, Wembley Stadium does not issue attendance figures. This is down to the event owner slash promoter. You would need to contact AEW directly. <clears throat> so I've asked AEW, uh, does this include suites? AEW says, yes, this includes suites. Um, and I've asked for a number. Uh, still waiting to hear back on that. So that's that's where we are with, you know, with can we verify or find information to support that this number really is what it is? Um, I mean, AEW telling, telling us a number would be nice, but it's not going to be a third party. Uh, maybe Polestar will eventually come out with with a number here. They do have some Wembley Stadium events. Um, Harry Styles at Wembley Stadium you can find in the Polestar data, which is something that 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 uh, we subscribe to and get get information for. So maybe we'll we'll see that number um, in Polestar, which could include tickets sold, could include a gate. They say it's over ten million for the gate. So that's that's where we are and hopefully Russell Dix will be doing a tickets distributed on that soon um yeah do you have anything off the top of your head that if WWE were to stage a Wrestlemania in in Wembley of how significant um of a difference it would be with, with their staging or would that just be it's too hard to estimate like how many more kills a typical Wrestlemania would have in a in a venue of this size I mean, they would probably kill more than, well, I mean, I mean, look at this, this, this photo that I had up a moment ago. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, Wembley, the, the stage, if you can see my mouse, the stage is behind the ring. That's where the actual stage was for AW All In. They killed all this too on the, on the, the left side of your screen. Right. Um, they didn't have to. They killed it because it wasn't going to get filled. Um, I mean, look, they still put probably 80,000 people in this building, but they, they could have put a lot more if they didn't have to kill these, these seats over here. Um, and maybe this is where the hard cam was, but, but anyway, they could have put more people in here. Uh, if if WWE wanted to do a small stage, sure, they could put more people in here if they had the demand to put it in there. Now, if if Wembley Stadium ever hosts a WrestleMania in, in this era, it's probably going to be a two-day WrestleMania. Why would they do a one-day WrestleMania? Just just for the sake of breaking the record, I guess if they really wanted to, they could do that. Um, but, you know, with, with Peacock and uh, with sponsorships, you know, that it probably gives them a lot more space and and a, a lot more media to sell, a lot more ad space to sell if they do two days versus one. In terms of uh, All Out itself, um, you being there, I mean, what was the the sense being? Because you were you were not a collision, but you were there for All Out. Um, this was at the United Center, their second night in a row inside of the building. And going into this, there was there was the curiosity of what would the fan response be towards CM Punk and watching it on television. Like they certainly had their moments that where, especially when the young bucks were out, but overall, like it came across as though this was not an audience that was showing up uh, to protest or to take over the show. It felt like an audience that was there to see a great wrestling show. They did. And by the end of it, I mean, CM Punk was certainly a major story coming out of the weekend, but I wouldn't say that that was the dominant theme if you were tuning into this show on Sunday night, which in another era, it, it could have been of a, a fan revolt against us uh, to some a very beloved star in his hometown. Yeah, the, the era of fan revolt, I guess, ended the beginning of the pandemic, right? 
like that's the last time I can think of, you know, let's say a, a post WrestleMania raw audience getting in there and, and giving really un, unwanted reactions. Um, I mean, this obviously the, um, what was it? Eight man tag with, with, yeah, the young bucks and FTR, um, that had the, the strongest presence of the audience being aware that CM Punk is fired and people acting really strongly, both positive and, and negatively towards uh, the young bucks who are really sort of eating it up and like going through some amazing, you know, multi-part spot and then just boom, posing to the crowd and getting an enormous reaction. Um, that was the strongest part of it. I mean, the, the crowd in general was hot throughout. Um, I was kind of tired towards uh, like right before the, the Kenny Omega and uh, Kanosuke Takashita match. I was like, all right, they're going to, this will probably be like a 20 minute high spot match and people are going to get tired after this. And they did not, I, they had a lot more energy than I had. Um, crowd was hot throughout, which is, you know, have, having you and I being at uh, forbidden door and watching Brian Danielson and Okada have this match. We're like, Oh man, this crowd is just spent. This, these are, you know, two of the greatest wrestlers ever. And this crowd is just, they're, they're not with it anymore. Um, but the crowd in Chicago was with it the entire time. The, um, the Will Hobbs, the Powerhouse Hobbs and Miro match, uh, with all of the, the meat chants that came across on TV, right? Like oh, all, very all much these, so. <laughs> um, that, that was, you know, very much a, a, a post mania raw kind of, uh, reaction. But yeah, they was, jumped on it. They've already got a meat t-shirt. Do uh, that that, that they had already. I mean, they, they really it. jumped on that one. Um, but in terms of, of punk stuff, not really. Just just uh, stuff directed towards the box. That's it, really. We, we we spoke with you on Saturday about sort of the the press release I- itself and, and the handling of it. But just looking at the way Tony went about uh, addressing the crowd on Saturday, both uh, to the audience at the United Center and then the opening at the beginning of the show. And th- this can take us into the collision number, which I, I think was a, was a pretty terrible number that they had on Saturday. There was definitely reasons for it, but it was lower than even I thought it would end up being. And the, the peak quarter was the beginning. Like you did have people tuning in, I think out of curiosity to see what, how they were going to handle it. Um, but then, you know, after the Danielson return and such, like it was a big drop and there was a little spike for the Dennis Rodman quarter. Um, but then continued to go down and it was, this is maybe will be the only one, but maybe not where rampage actually beat collision by 27,000 viewers. Right. I, I'm going to get the, um, one of these images on the screen here. Um, so it, it started with 472,000 viewers. So like, you know, just under a half a million and it ended with almost half of that viewership left in, in the demo. It did fall in half. Um, it's going to work. There we go. So. There's a two, two minute overrun where the, where the viewership did climb back up. But most of these quarters, from quarter to quarter, there's double digits of percent of viewership that fell away here. Um, this, this quarter in the middle must be the, yeah, it is the Dennis Rodman quarter where the, the viewership noticeably increased. Um, and I've got my dashed lines here. As you can see, as the show wore on in the last two quarters, the total viewership fell below the normal trend of the demo viewership. To, to give you an idea of where this show usually performs and how it performed on this night. Um, yeah, I've, I've never seen, I can't think of a quarter hour trend that I've seen and I haven't seen WWE, you know, beyond the last couple of years, but I've seen all the, the AEW quarters in, in its entire history. And I can't think of a, of a show that where, you know, where viewership descended to this degree. I think this quarter hour one 
is a lot stronger, I think, because of the news of of Punk's firing and people being curious to check out how this was going to be addressed. They got their answer in the first couple of minutes and they could tune out after that if they wanted to. And there's plenty of other interesting stuff to watch, including payback, including college football and uh, baseball as well. Yeah, there were three college football games going on on ABC, CBS and NBC and then Major League Baseball on Fox. Um, so I think all told, you had about eight and a half million viewers between those four games, but then payback on top of it, which this was not SummerSlam. It was no. payback. But I mean, I'm curious, just this probably as, as weak of a, of a PLE that they're going to go against. I don't think they're going to have a like I would think that Fastlane would be comparable to this. Um, Survivor Series will be much bigger than this. And I mean, do you look at this as a combination of the fact that maybe the college football is going to be much more than even we envisioned it was going to be? Or do you attribute this somewhat to just the combination of factors with it is still a WWE event and that is going to always be the the toughest night of the month for collision? Yeah, I, I think WWE makes this much worse than it would be otherwise. Um, I mean, next week will we'll tell us they'll be going against college football again. Um, I expect it to be up, um, but I think the PLE definitely hurt it. They have uh, UFC prelims as well this weekend because they have a card from Australia, so they will be going against that. And then for the rest of the year, they have uh, an NXT show September 30th they'll go against. The next main roster show is October the 7th, and then they avoid the Saudi Arabia card um, that you had reported will be November 4th. And then Survivor Series is end of November from Chicago, the Magic City. So November 4th will be, the show will be earlier in the day. It'll right? be in the afternoon. Yes. Yeah, so they'll yeah. avoid uh, that head to head. I want to say, you know, the, the day that they did not go head to head with Money in the Bank, but Money in the Bank was earlier in the day, they still had a lower rating than, than the surrounding weeks. That's right. That was the, the tape Hamilton show, but you're right. It was still down that night. And so I certainly I, look wonder at it. If, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, I I think there's, even when it's not head-to-head with a WWE show, there is sort of that burnout if you are an audience member. I I, I mentioned this on, on Sunday's show that, like, I looked at that all-out card, and it looked great on paper, but I definitely felt it on Sunday of just uh, being up Saturday, watching a, a three-and-a-half-hour wrestling show, and then coming back the next night knowing this is going to be a four-hour show with a one-hour pre-show that... And on top of that, you're asking for people to spend $50. Like there is that, that burnout for fans of how many nights am I going to dedicate to wrestling? How many hours of my weekend are, am I going to dedicate to wrestling? And for some, it's, it's just going to be, you're, you're going to pick and choose. And on a weekend where you have multiple pay-per-view events, collision is an easy miss there among your, your candidates. If you were going into this weekend stating, I'm going to watch payback and all out, but I am not tacking on another two hours on Saturday night. Yeah, and, and no CM Punk on the Collision Show doesn't help either, and no CM Punk on on the Collision Show, perhaps ever again, <laughs> doesn't help either, uh, for a, a show that really has to avoid being rampage in terms of becoming a less and less important show. It, it really has to rank highly, at least in in in, in some ways, at least not. Maybe it's gonna. It's, I'm sure it's gonna be tougher in this um fall season. And I do have from, you know, courtesy of at sports rating, at sports TV ratings, I can show this. Um, Robert Sedman has a, a sub stack that's free where he's posting sports TV ratings every day. And we're looking at the Saturday, I believe now. No, we're looking at the Sunday. Anyway, it's e- even among just sports telecasts for Saturday. Uh, Collision ranked 
no better than like number 36. Now that includes broadcast, but this is certainly not a top 10 finish for, for collision. There has to be some non-sports stuff in there too. I would think uh, we don't have that yet from uh, spoiler TV, but it's going to be tough um, to keep this, this show strong. Um, Tony did make it pretty clear that Brian Danielson is going to be involved primarily in collision going forward because that, that suits his schedule better. But uh, yeah, it's, it's got to hold up. How alarming of a number is this for you if you're AEW? Like I, I don't tend to overreact to, to one yeah, week. It's, it's um, one week. It's bad, but you know, one week I wouldn't freak out if it stays this way for weeks and weeks. Yeah. Yeah. I think. Obviously, you look at this weekend, and I would think that they're they're not going to be this low uh, this coming weekend without a WWE show. But you know, there there are the natural factors we're looking at. There is no CM Punk. There is college football. Like you cannot just go into it. I think with the just a pat hand at the same time. I feel like this is a show that you need to be monitoring and understanding that this is a show that is going to need that that boost immediately. And, and the competition is, is going to intensify, but they've known that all summer. So this should not completely like the CM Punk stuff. You could not necessarily forecast, but the fall season you could. Yeah, for sure. So on top of that, um, from the, the collision, uh, numbers, is there anything else, um, on the all out front that you wanted to, uh, discuss? How much of the press conference have you listened to? Most of it. Um, I saw everything except for uh, Chris Statlander and most of the the Adam Cole portion, but everything else I, I did see. We got a Jacksonville Jaguars question in there. Uh, did you catch that? Oh well, he's, um, he's being asked if uh, the, if the Jaguars are leaving Jacksonville, which I thought was. He, he, oh, did he say yes? Did he break news that yes, no, uh, we're no. leaving? We're leaving Jacksonville, no. and I'm breaking it at the all-out press conference. He he did start to t- to talk about how um how great the Jaguars are though, and how how great the team is. Um, did but you ask I, that? No, I did not ask that. Um, not many questions about, about punk here. I think only coming from Nick Hausman and, and me. Um, I was really hoping that, you know, this is one of the biggest stories of the year. The, one of the biggest, you know, the biggest star in AEW by, by a fair stretch just got fired for cause, um, in pretty dramatic circumstances. Um, and only a couple questions that, uh, dared to mention CM Punk. Were you surprised that there was, no further information beyond, I mean, Tony was pr- like, this was a very, um, you know, it was a very strongly worded uh, statement that they put out and that he vocalized in the United Center. And I was, so- I was somewhat curious to see if it would be, um, if he would go into any level of detail, but it became pretty obvious from you and Nick's questions that, um, this was a subject he was not going to address. I mean, Nick Houseman's like follow up was like just ignored. When it came yeah. to what he learned from the CM Punk situation, I mean, I think he was being ex- the usual Tony Khan, very careful when it comes to these stories, which was a departure from what we saw the night before, where he was very, I mean, very detailed when it came to the level of what went into this decision. Yeah, the, the press conference had a an unusual dynamic in that Tony is always sitting next to talent, which he was on, on this occasion, and media were asking questions and often rather than asking the talent a question, they asked Tony a question, which, which was unusual. Um, but, but none of those questions or most of those questions were not about the punk situation or anything like that. Um, and it, I don't know. I, I can't read anybody's mind, but it's almost like people wanted to ask the question, but weren't quite getting there. Um, it, I, I have, have the sense though, that if 
more people were willing to ask those questions, it would be easier to get momentum and, and for, and for more questions to be asked and to maybe get, get more color, get more detail on, on the story. I, ha- I had a list of like, I was talking to you beforehand and I was, I had like a list of 10 questions ready, ready to ask him and we got like two or three of them. Yeah. I mean, but the top ones were what you asked about what was the status of, uh, Jack Perry and, and obviously like, is there a no compete element to this, this firing with cause for right. Phil Brooks, which I mean, inevitably yeah, I didn't, I, he didn't answer it and I didn't, didn't expect him to answer it. Um, but there's other things I, I felt that that was, you know, I were there to serve fan interests, you know, and the, and the audience interests and what are they curious about? Um, and I think we have to at least ask it, even if, you know, it, it feels pretty likely that he's going to, going to not want to get into it. You have to still ask you, you still have to ask it, even if you're not ex- expecting an answer, it's like, okay, there's, there's a 95% chance you don't get an answer, but there's a 100% chance you're not going to get it. If, if you don't ask, that's kind of my thinking of it all. And to, we, we have seen, I mean, um, you know, several reports have come out. I think Justin Barrasso at SI.com mentioning this, that, you know, from, from the punk camp, it sounds like there, there will be the time and day that CM Punk, um, airs out his side of this, which will be the next chapter in, in, in the saga of where things go. And, and do they escalate? Is there a legal element to this, which I think would be a natural assumption that that could be a result here? And I'm sure AEW is very mindful of that. Um, at the same time, like they, they had a very harshly worded description of this to the point of Tony Khan stating that he felt his life was in danger from this incident that went down. So I think that rebuttal is going to happen and we will see where this escalates into next. And I think if you are AEW, you want to move on as much you can, but this is not to me a, a, a book that has closed yet. Yeah. And, and one of the questions that. I'd be curious to know. And I, th- I think you suggested was that, you know, is there a non-disparagement agreement here between the parties so that they can't say certain things about each other? Um, but yeah, I would expect um, some sort of interview soon from, from punk. I, I have searched a uh, pacer for, for Phil Brooks and for, for all elite wrestling this morning, no news to report there. Um, but I mean, just, just thinking about it, and somebody suggested this to me that, it wouldn't be surprising if he turned up on, let's say, Ariel Hawani's show and is, you know, just turn the screws to Tony, who's, uh, you know, taking little shots back and forth between himself and, and Ariel. Uh, and Ariel has interviewed Punk before, so there seems to be a relationship there. Yeah. I mean, he's been on his show many, many times throughout his, uh, his UFC tenure. Um, it, it, I mean, I, I can't get into his head. I don't know what his, his thought process is. You also had the precedent of the last time that he did a, um, an exit interview, so to speak, um, right. That led to a massive, um, legal issue. Uh, for I, him. Would, I would definitely would, want to speak with some lawyers before I interviewed CM Punk. Uh, I think, I think you would be wise to, to do such a thing. Um, again, I, so much of this is like, you can't get into his head and know what he is thinking. Like based on precedent, he is somebody that I feel when he believes he has been wronged, uh, rightly or, or you d- agree or disagree with him. Like he wants his side out there. Um, whether it be directly or indirectly. So uh, certainly would not be a surprise at all that uh, suddenly uh, some big statement interview drops from Phil Brooks. But um, in the, in the short term, like that was always discussed. Like if you cut ties with this individual, it is going to cause 
it's pros and cons for your company. Like in the short term, will this hurt collision? Probably, but you are also going into a period where I think collision was going to be hurt regardless. So if you are CM Punk, you can maybe have some solace in that fact that collision is going to go down without you. And whether Phil Brooks deserves credit or not for his lack of participation on collision and its numbers going down. I mean, that was almost inevitable. And from this point forward, you look at the, options of what you have left and is Tony Khan just looking to rebuild and build this up with a super deep roster or are you looking for short-term fixes of going out there bringing in someone that just takes everyone's attention away from CM Punk and puts it on someone else and and what the what the level of rope you have from WBD to like do they want to see increases immediately is this something where you're playing the long game or do you need to be um changing things around yesterday i mean that's part and parcel with working with a broadcaster and what their expectations are. Yeah. It, it does feel like the beginning of a new era for, for AEW. I mean, how much do you think it matters that, I mean, I would argue since early 2022, since Cody left, which was sort of followed by the MJF controversy and him maybe walking out or whatever he did. And, and then the all out press conference just after that, I think it's been a valid criticism for, for the last, whatever that is year and nine months that, the most interesting stories surrounding AEW were not on screen, were, were online and in news reporting. And, and what is the, the drama of, of the day in, in AEW? That is, they're able to now move past that, maybe, right? But, but probably. Um, and does that make, that, that is a healthy thing, I suppose, for, for AEW for, in terms of being able to, to produce programming that, uh, you know, can be the main feature or obviously punk being out of the way is is a is going to hurt them at least in the short term they're going to lose their biggest star but does it matter that much that the biggest stories might actually be the things that are happening in the ring rather than people wondering about what's happening backstage does that matter that much to the economics of of their business i think from the optics and again there's going to be fans to disagree with the decision by tony khan to to terminate cm punk but i think to a broad portion of the audience, at least optically, it feels like the connective issue in CM Punk from all these different stories is removed from the situation. Now, whether that do people have their head buried in the sand that this is all of a sudden going to be a locker room that is all in harmony with one another. I think that's a bit of a stretch to imagine in any wrestling locker room that that's going to occur. But I think from a fan perspective, that there is the belief of this is the company officially moving on because there has been this cloud over the company for minimum one year. And you could go back further, as as you mentioned, that this has been just this thing that has dragged on. And whenever there's been the thought that they're moving past it, something else inevitably uh, pops up and it's constantly taking attention away from what you're drawing money from. Like this is not selling tickets. This is not selling pay-per-views. This was not putting any kind of positive, this was not drawing money in any way. It was attention that I think in a, to, to some people, any attention is great attention, but I think this would be an example of that not being the case. I don't think this enhanced AEW's product in any way. And I think it diminished it to many people. And I think it's coincided with at least Tony's media approach of being more guarded and more evasive in, in, in press conferences and in interviews. Um, because there's been questions that he, do, he doesn't want to address and get into. And that's that I, I think that really started around early 2022 or so. 
Let's go to uh, one super chat here. We have a few. Uh, John Kleinchester, if AEW pay-per-views go to max, would that benefit AEW financially against uh, Bleacher Report and traditional pay-per-view? Or is it more advantageous because of the built-in max audience? Um, I mean, ultimately, we would have to know what the dollar figure is that they are getting for these pay-per-views. And if it, like for WWE, their move to Peacock, uh, it was very advantageous for them given the amount that they are now guaranteed. Um, similar to UFC where like there was a reason they eliminated the risk of having to create major attractions every single month to get people to buy on pay-per-view when you have a guaranteed amount that no matter what your card is, you're going to get. And I mean, without knowing what the dollar figure is, um, yeah, they, I mean, if, if, you, if you're AW, you have to say, well, I need enough money to justify that, to, to justify this exact question, right? M- maybe they can do 12 pay-per-views a year and, you know, just like WWE does. And, but it has to be, they have to make the, the deal from WBD for that has to be well in excess of what they would make on traditional pay-per-view alone. Which was like, what is that? That's because I have this here. I think you know, all in. If it if it drew 165 thousand buys, it generated around four million dollars in in pay per view revenue, just pay per view revenue. So that's on the high end, right? So I don't know. It's it's got to be maybe approaching like you know at least fifty million dollars, maybe a hundred million dollars, something like that. Um, so if it, if they can pay them enough, yeah. And I think there's a great value in having those events uh, on streaming that we've seen in the case of WWE being on Peacock with those events on Peacock. I think that's really coincided with the, the mid 2021, I would say turnaround or end of the, the attrition of, of fan interest. And I think it's, you know, in large part because people were able to watch those pay-per-views uh, in, in, to a degree that they didn't in the past because Peacock was, you know, not something that they had to pay nine ninety nine for, but something that maybe it came with their cable package, or they you know they want to watch The Office or whatever it is, and so they had Peacock in their homes, uh, and so they were just more engaged with the product, and maybe that led to downstream interest as well. Um, and I think we saw that in the early days of the W Network, where you basically I don't know doubled something like that, you multiplied your pay per view audience, and that led to I think downstream engagement. We certainly saw an increase in ticket sales and merchandise sales from 2014, 15, 16. We have one here from uh, Bruce Lord. With no formal New Japan branding on WrestleDream, do you anticipate cooperation with other Japanese promotions, maybe New Japan talent that are not booked on the core Q and Hall show? So yes, New Japan has a Road to Destruction show the same day as this WrestleDream card on October 1st in Seattle. Um, one of the major names not booked on that New Japan show is Will Ospreay. So you could, in theory, uh, book him on that day on October the 1st. And the reasoning for this is that this is designed as a uh, a tribute show to Antonio Inoki on the anniversary of his death last year. Um, but you would think unless New Japan is going to um, al- remove talent that has already been advertised for that Q and Hall show, that the, the New Japan talent would be limited in terms of who you would have access to but maybe this relationship is enough that ghetto would yank some talent and be a good partner and that's a big travel period too right i'm trying to look at that that's october 1st right that that date is for yes a sunday night pay-per-view and they have october 3rd is the next day on the on the tour and september 30th also in cork and all so what i'm saying is to, to go to japan you're you're taking out more than just one or to go to, to the U S is yeah. taking out more than one day, even though it is on the West coast in Seattle. Um, 
Yeah. I almost wonder if they're just going to you know, do Will Ospreay and Shibata and say, yeah, we've got some New Japan presence here. I'd also wonder too of like how many of those New Japan performers would be like difference makers for a pay-per-view and they would be, you know, your, your upper 5% of talent that, I mean, I don't think New Japan would want to take all of them out and you just fill this with a, you know, whoever it is, your Okada, a Tanahashi, a, a Shingo Takagi, like that level. Um, and beyond that, I mean, I, I don't think, you know, making sure you get a, a Hiroki Goto is going to be your big difference maker as opposed to the roster that you have plus an Osprey plus maybe one other big talent. I don't think this has to be a great number of performers you need either from New Japan. They do have matches announced. I'm, I'm looking at the, uh, the October. Yeah, they card. have the whole card listed. So it would, it would require them to like take away from like what is advertised, which is very, uh, un New Japan. So o- Okada is in a, a six man. Naito is, is in that six man. Um, yeah. Tanahashi is in a tag match. Just looking at you know, the biggest names here. But yeah. Would you guys like Toriano in Seattle? We, I think Toriano's we make that happen too. for you. <laughs> What what do you think about just uh, the the idea of um, a Sunday night pay per view? And this is going against it's it's a big Sunday night game, I believe that they are up against that night, if I'm not mistaken. Um, it might even be the Bills playing. I don't know, um, but nonetheless, um, a Sunday night pay per view. This has been you know during football season they have avoided Sunday nights, but this will be one where they do test the waters uh, in the fall season. Yeah, I mean, and also coming so close, like maybe we shouldn't be too concerned about the proximity after seeing what uh, All Out did. That four weeks later, um, Chiefs and Jets, it's going against. Okay, so that's yeah, that's a that's a sizable game. Chris Gullo will confirm with us. Yeah, uh, Aaron, Aaron Rodgers is is a uh, move to the Jets, uh, and and the in Buffalo, we're not going to be able to watch it on ESPN because of this um, charter spectrum spectrum is um serves cable for the buffalo area and i think a lot of new york and i'm, I'm pretty sure most of the the new york city area too this is almost so, 15 million cable subscribers that this, right. this carriage conflict uh um is affecting and uh based on my uh my podcast you would think like a war is breaking out because it is the only thing that is being discussed on every single show this battle between disney and uh and charter but i mean from from a wrestling standpoint i mean it's unlikely, I would say, that this is resolved by Monday, uh, which will affect uh, people being able to watch Monday Night Football for the first game of the season. Right. So, and that's what, what is the first, is, is the first Monday Night Football? It's not to, like, next Monday. Week, that's right. Oh, yeah. So it is, is next Monday. Um, yeah, probably not. Um, and I would think, you know, it, it's still going to take Monday Night Football still across the rest of the country. What, 15 million out of 70 million or so homes that, that that's what the ESPN is in? So it's going to take, it's going to take some of the edge off, but it's still going to take a big hit on, on raw, I would think. Um, but the bigger, bigger economic consequences might be that, you know, I know John O'Rand has said, you know, they'll probably come to a deal eventually, you know, not, not uh, in a week from now, but, but eventually. Um, but the, the talk is that charter may withdraw how involved it is in cable television, um, which could, ultimately give all the networks less money and therefore less money that they can spend on content, including the most expensive content, live sports rights, which encompasses WB and AEW. Um, so I don't, I don't know if that is that a setup for uh, what Brandon Ross was talking about this week. Well, Brandon Ross, uh, former guest of Pollock and Thurston had this report on 
through Lightshed Partners and wrote that WWE and Endeavor investors have been laser focused on PFL for the past several days. The fear of Saudi money continues to weigh on the stocks. However, the event path from here should refocus investors. In addition to the TKO deal closing in the next few weeks, we believe that WWE has been getting close to the goal line on deals for both Raw and SmackDown. So whenever you're getting the deep football analogies for business deals, that's when you know the perk off. Almost in the end zone. We have said that we believe Raw and NXT would return to NBC Universal. We suspect that the SmackDown negotiations are with Amazon or Disney, though we are less certain on the who in that deal. It is not Fox. Sounds pretty definitive. The big question is whether the charter Disney dispute will interrupt these deals. As we wrote this morning, the future of sports rights is now uncertain with the multi-channel bundle on the brink of collapse. Will traditional media companies be able to manage a more sudden transition to streaming? NBCU must be worried about its next deal with Charter, even as it could certainly simulcast on Peacock. If Disney is the front runner for SmackDown, could they even complete a deal? If it is Amazon, should they wait, given all sports rights could reprice? These are the questions most relevant to TKO's future at the moment. Yeah, and we still have the notion out there that will maybe none of this, at least the SmackDown part of this, is going to get done until the NBA rights are done. And then the networks know how much money they have to work with. They know the time slots that they still have available that they need to fill. Um, and I don't I don't know off the top of my head when when the nego- negotiating windows for NBA end, but it's it's going to be close to uh, to SmackDown. SmackDown's a Fox deal actually expiring, I would think, um, which is about a year from now, right? So the end of this month will be the end of September and it expires at the end of September, 2024. So it could, could go that long. And by, by which time, and maybe by even a week or two from now, the, the merger will be completed. And then Ari Emanuel can, can get in there with Nikon and maybe make a deal. Um, but di- if it goes to Disney, then the, the prevailing wisdom is it would be on FX SmackDown. And so um, a lot of wrestling fans are going to be worried about this carriage dispute. Wait, where where am I going to get my SmackDown? Well, that'll be a year from now. I'm sure that'll yeah, be settled I don't by think then. This will be uh, um, ongoing at that point. For Prime Video, um, I still think it's early to go to Prime Video uh, to go to, to put one of your flagship shows strictly on streaming, unless there's some sort of deal that can be worked out so that there's a simulcast at least for the early part of any any deal like that. Let's say it's a five year deal. You know, I would be real hesitant if I'm WWE to put SmackDown on a, a platform that's not going to reach, you know, I don't know. Now, now I say reach, but Prime Video is is in like 80 million homes or something like that because people actually subscribe to Prime Video Prime for all sorts of reasons. They may or may not actually use the Prime Video service. Um, but you look at what the NFL did when Thursday Night Football went exclusive to to uh, Prime Video, and it's doing, you know, uh, in, in the tens of millions of viewers, but it's a, a drop off from what it was doing when it was on Fox, right? So it's going to do lower viewership. We're going to end up with a SmackDown that's currently doing, you know, like two and a half million viewers sometimes is going to fall to, I don't know what, uh, fall in half maybe. Um, and the, think of the downstream effects that that might have. Um, so it, it feels early unless the money is going to be enormous and or unless there's some sort of partnership that can be made with a traditional TV network. And Amazon doesn't own any any of them, obviously. So it would have to be with you know somebody who may be, may be viewed as a competitor, which makes it seem less likely to me. The other part of that story was um, regarding the the investment with um, a Saudi Arabian group that has now acquired a reported ten percent stake in the Professional Fighters League, and 
I did not expect this to be the kind of impact on the WWE stock. Um, but that was certainly the thinking last week. Like we saw this WWE stock take a major hit. And while it's recovered somewhat, it, it is not fully recovered. Uh, it's trading at about a hundred dollars now. And I think traded as low as around 95 ish last week. And this was, you know, at a, at a period it was trading at around $115. So it has seen some extreme volatility over the last week. And that was the, the prime factor was this investment and the idea of WWE being tied with the UFC through this soon to be finalized merger and that this Saudi Arabian investment would signal kind of their entry point into mixed martial arts and disrupting the UFC's business. That obviously is, um, Wall Street was concerned enough about how this impacts WWE. Yeah. So PFL, the, the, it airs on ESPN, right? Is, yes. is this is an extra hundred million dollars for the PFL? Does that make it a big competitor now for for UFC? Is this is this a reasonable reaction to to the stock price? I don't think it was a reasonable reaction. I thought this was actually a pretty great overreaction. Um, as we've discussed on the show, I think the the involvement of the or the progression of the antitrust suit to me is way more alarming. Like they have now set a trial date for next April, which I mean, still there is the appeal process that UFC is going through the, uh, the ninth circuit court over. Um, but there's a potential trial and that could greatly disrupt UFC's business and not to mention the, the treble damages that they could be facing, which goes into the multi billions. Um, if they're found uh, guilty, and, and I but, read a quote from Dana White the other day where he called, these these other MMA organizations, charity organizations. So. Yes, yeah. <laughs> so you have you have one side arguing that there's plenty of competition in the MMA space. UFC is just one of many, and then Dana White is just uh, saying the complete opposite. So there you have a uh, Exhibit A, Dana White. But I mean, the PFL, like they've been around for a number of years, and it's not as though they have not been um, enticing when it comes to like the way they are structured. It's through these tournament formats. Where if you go through their regular season and playoffs, and this accounts to about four fights per year, and you win, there's a million-dollar prize at the end, which is sizable money for mixed martial arts. And it's not as though we have seen this giant uh, flow of even mid-level fighters. Like, you, PFL have signed some ex-UFC fighters, but it's not been some sea change. It's not like they've interrupted the UFC's uh, market cap in any significant way. They tried one pay-per-view last year and it bombed. And, you know, they certainly have much more capital now. So it's, it's not nothing, but to me, it's unproven. And I would say like this level of reaction, I just thought was a way, way overreacted reaction in terms of what this means. And PFL, like PFL is so much further behind than the comparable of an AEW to a WWE. I mean, PFL, it could not dream of doing a hundred thousand buys on, on pay-per-view. Not at this juncture. Now, on, on Friday, Front Office Sports reported that there's a, a possible merger being discussed between Bellator and PFL. Um, I, I have it here. So, so Bellator is owned by Paramount, which which is the, the organization that owns CBS and, and the former Viacom networks. Um, they reported that the Pref- Professional Fighters League is in talks to pur- purchase to purchase competitor uh, Bellator MMA from Paramount. Two sources with knowledge of the discussions told Front Office Sports. Bellator is valued at as much as $500 million in the deal, which I think this is what motivated the, uh, the Dana White comment to say that this is ridiculous, that it's worth half a billion dollars. Um, the tra- transaction would be primarily in cash with 
Paramount receiving some equity in PFL. So if, if those two companies were to combine, does that then present a real competitor to UFC that, that justifies the action that we're seeing in the stock? To me, the value of Bellator is like they have, they have some excellent fighters on their roster, but in terms of just buying the company. And if, if that is like the rumored valuation of Bellator, I mean, that's, that seems awfully high to me of what, what Bellator is. Again, like Bellator is on showtime at the moment. Their, their viewership it has dropped dramatically, uh, since, since leaving, uh, what was spike tv um years ago the paramount network yeah and the paramount network um so they're on showtime um they have not been able to um you know become a a pay-per-view entity uh but they have some great fighters on their roster and that's where the value is but i i again i i look at this and i still see this as a it's it's a well-funded competitor for, to the ufc but i think it's like there's just such a gulf between this and the UFC that I, the perfect example of this was a few weeks ago. And this was when like Francis Ngannou has both a, a deal to fight Tyson Fury this year. And he's also got a PFL contract to do an MMA fight and plans to do that next year. And part of his negotiation with PFL was that his opponent, whoever they sign, which in theory would be their next uh, foray into pay-per-view, his opponent would be paid at least $2 million. And Derek Lewis, who's a very popular UFC heavyweight, his deal was up with the UFC. And everyone looked at this like, this guy's timing is perfect. He could be the ideal candidate to score a giant payday uh, with PFL. And he just quietly resigned with the UFC for an eight-fight deal. And he's back with the UFC. So it's like the idea of even having this giant purse at the, at the end of things to go to PFL, it's not just a given that these fighters want to leave the UFC and still look at it as the best path for their career, even if it is less paying. And I just feel like there is so much built in among like the UFC is just so embedded uh, with many of these fighters of like, this is the major leagues of MMA and UFC, they've not been able to need to upset their pay structure. And the thing that threatens that more, it's not money from Saudi Arabia. It is this antitrust case that might force them to have to change contract language and the level of restrictions that they have. So I would just be paying a lot more attention to the antitrust suit than the PFL, which to me is which just- Which we saw, we saw no negative reaction to Endeavor or WWE when, when the antitrust suit news came out. No. And maybe that changes when, you know, like a trial date starts looming. And there's also going to be another discovery period later this fall where probably more, a lot more is going to come out. But yeah, thus far, the antitrust suit has had no impact on, on Endeavor stock or, or WWE's for that matter. Yeah. I'm always mystified at what really moves the stock. I, I wonder if it's, you know, I, I mean, I imagine what, you know, what moves the stock are actions from financial institutions and, and reports from equity analysts who I think know what they're doing. But then you see stuff like this where like, I, I wonder if they just, you know, see PIF and say, wow, Saudi money, they understand what that means. And that, <laughs> that causes a reaction. I to think that's it, Brandon. This one totally <laughs> caught me off guard, like completely. And I think it's just that like you can, you can look on paper and I can see how they draw this conclusion. But to me, it's just, it's not been borne out with reality of, there's just there, there's so much more like two years from now, maybe I'm proven incorrect, but I just don't see it right now that 
PFL is suddenly this giant player in this industry that's going to eat into the UFC's uh, dominance over the market. Um, the antitrust suit, I, I can very much see that being a major impact on the UFC's business and conversely WWE's uh, as well because of the implications of that. And amazingly, with the, like the antitrust suit at the level it's at and so many parallels to WWE, that has appeared not any kind of factor when it comes to approving of this this merger that looks like it has just gone through a very easy process and it's largely rubber stamped and everyone ex- expects a approval any week now. Yeah. So W might be a deal then is what I'm hearing at a hundred dollars a share. Might be, might, might be in, in fact, um, a few other, uh, news and notes that we wanted to get into here. Um, Cardiff, Wales, what, what was the going rate for clash at the castle last September? How much did it cost for a foreign country to land a WWE premium live event and probably insight into what WWE would want for an event in, uh, London, probably a lot more for a WrestleMania. Yeah, so this, so this is like old news that nobody noticed until about a week ago. Um, because in April, way back in April, uh, the Welsh government put out a, a press release that said, uh, do I have the quote here? W's Clash of the Castle event in Cardiff in 2022 delivered a massive 10 to 1 return on investment by channeling 20, uh, 21.8 million pounds back into the Welsh economy. So you can do the math there and say, so they're saying this did a 10 to 1 return. Well, they're not, it did, but they're, they're putting the math out here. 10 to 1 return on 21.8 million pounds. So just divide that by 10 and you get 2.18 million pounds, which in U.S. dollars is 2.8 million U.S. dollars. Um, so that's looks like something I'm sure there's, you know, this is not specifically correct. And maybe they're just sort of rounding to get to, to a 10 to one ratio, but you know, it gives you an idea of, of where, where it was at is around $3 million us around 2 million pounds. Um, which sounds right. We know that Puerto Rico, the Puerto Rican local government paid, uh, one and a half million dollars in cash for backlash. And I suppose for, you could say for SmackDown to the night before, uh, in addition to a 300, thousand dollar in kind value related to the venue that they ran so that's close that's that's less than three million dollars and this is this was a stadium event clash the castle versus an arena event for for backlash um i'm sure wrestlemania has been a bidding situation for years and years um i don't know any numbers for what what municipalities have paid for wrestlemania um but we do know we do know backlash um i don't know what san antonio paid they apparently provided some sort of value to WWE for the Royal Rumble. Um, that was the, the detail that they were allowed to withhold when, when they brought the, uh, they made a request to the, to the state attorney general and they were approved it. So they didn't have to release that information because they view it as um, competitive that it would allow other municipalities to be able to put in smarter bids, I guess, and could disadvantage San Antonio from getting a bid uh, from getting a winning bid on a WWE event in the future. So Two, 2.2 million pounds. Um, and, you know, I, I think there's, there's questions around like what, what, you know, did that give enough value to, uh, to the local economy? They're, they're, they're justifying that it did. Look, we got a 10 per, a, a 10x increase, uh, a 10x return on our value there. And I went back and looked at the, um, at the pay-per-view itself on Peacock and you do, did get, just like you did for Backlash, uh, you did get two tourism 
ads, I guess. And one of which was ended with Michael Cole and Byron Saxon and Corey Graves just glowing about what a great time they've been having uh, in Cardiff. You don't think they did have a glowing time in, in Cardiff? Well, they may well have. I mean, they, they probably don't say that, though, if they're not getting paid uh, lots of money for it. And of those 2.2 million pounds, um, that comes with a press conference as well. That's what you get. There, w- there was a press conference after Clash of the Castle, yes, as well as Backlash. International PLEs, I was told, will will likely get a, a press conference as well as the Big Five. WrestleMania, Royal Rumble, SummerSlam, Survivor Series, and Money in the Bank. So our next one would be Chicago, I guess, uh, unless they do one in Saudi Arabia. Right. They, they do like a pre-press Press That's right. Event. They did the, the pre, like the little, uh, yeah. I mean, the pre- they don't the pep do a, rally. They don't do a Q and a. Yeah. All right. A few more, uh, super chats have come in. Um, <laughs> I love these ones. Hello. How much do you see the AW media rights deal? will wind up that. Thank you. Can you just Give cut us a number? Chase Brandon, how much are they going to get? How much is it? Media rights deal. How much? Um, I speculated anywhere, anywhere between three X and, and five X over the average, average annual value of the current deal. The current deal is worth, uh, let's, let's make the math easy. The current deal is worth about 45 million. You know, it's more though now because of collision. So now I believe it's about 70, right? With collision because you're providing an extra weekly two hours of content. So times three would be 121. No, what's, what's seven times three? Yeah, 210. It'd be 210. Somewhere between 210 and 350 million dollars average annual value. And I think it's, it's fair to be a little bit more bearish without CM Punk there because that's, you know, you take away the biggest star that's going to have an effect on the ratings. Um, so maybe one bill of, of that range. That's right. David Zaslaw's favorite wrestler. Maybe he can now Zaslaw will find, um, maybe it'll Mr. Be, uh, Zaslav, excuse me. Mr. Zaslav, um, his new favorite will be a one bill, big bill. Maybe. Yeah. Next up is from Lee. Sammy, I assume he means uh, Guevara, unless there is a uh, another Guerrero that has uh, made its way onto the AEW roster. He has had backstage fights with Andrade and Eddie. Thunder Rosa says she was bullied by the girls. Does AEW have a wider problem than Punk? Um, well, that's... Uh, listen, for, for the Punk situation, this man was not let go because of one incident with Jack Perry. It was... They deemed a... Like, they went into an investigation about all of the the CM Punk era in AEW and felt at the end of it, this is our unanimous view on him. And I would say that if they made that um, conclusion regarding CM Punk and a pattern that they were able to put together, I don't believe anyone else would be held to a higher standard than a CM Punk. And that would include a Sammy Guevara, that would include anybody on the roster. So if you're trying to say like there's some double standard here, the double standard would have been finding a way to keep CM Punk by any measure on your roster. And they ultimately cut ties with him. So that would be my thought on, on the matter. Um, do you have any, any thoughts uh, beyond that? No, I, I mean, I think a lot of it does, does come down to leadership and it's true that there are, there have been other fights and conflicts that, that have involved other people besides CM Punk. Um, I think some of that is, is down to the, to the leadership and, and their ability to do things that deter those things from happening. Our next question. Uh, if SmackDown goes to FX, Disney plus should be the live simulcast partner, similar to dancing with the stars on ABC and Disney plus. I mean, I, I, would, I would see, I would see like ESPN plus making the, uh, yes. the ESPN plus maybe, I don't know if Hulu wants to do 
live programming. And I know they're doing a virtual MVPD with all the, the channels you can get there. Um, but yeah, ESPN plus makes the most sense, I suppose, especially if you, you probably want that to be a player in, in the, the PLE and library rights in the next round too. Mm-hmm. Brace for it. Wrestling fans, the big yeah. fear. You, you gotta remember the, the Disney brand is super family friendly and they want to keep anything that's, you know, got inherent violence, like WWE uh, away from that. I would think. And the last super chat from Jake Alenar. What's next in the ongoing MLW WWE lawsuit? My understanding is like they're they're into like a discovery period at the moment, and it remains to be seen. Like, what is the next? Um, what's the next action um, that that comes out of this? But when you're yeah, into I, discovery, there uh, certainly could be some some very interesting findings. Yeah, I, I think they're they're into discovery, which I think involves making lots of requests to each other. We did see that one filing where Live Nation, which is the parent company of Ticketmaster, was uh, objecting to having to cooperate with a subpoena because MLW, in, in their view, MLW wanted information that was too broad. Um, that that happened on August, around August 7th. I tweeted about it. Um, there is a schedule published. Uh, let's see here. They, they have a, is there anything that soon? Next year, June 17th, 2024, they have a joint trial setting conference statement. Uh, I don't know of any other deadlines, but... Uh, yeah, discoveries is ongoing, and, and I assume there'll be more filings, uh, you know, over the months to that that might make reference and might use what they find in discovery as exhibits in in other arguments that are made. and reveal them on their next Fight Plus special. I I, can, I guess look at my buy if they do that. That could be uh that could be the the way you you bring out all of this information in a in a nice orderly fashion. Uh, before we uh, we wrap things up, Brandon, are there any other things that you wanted to uh, hit on before we uh, we call it a day? I don't think so. I think that that, that accomplishes everything on the list that I sent you this morning. Um, yeah. yeah, Brandon and I we uh, I sent him a list of topics, and then later I had seen that he had already sent me uh, a detailed list of topics, and there was a lot of crossover. I think we're we're very much in simpatico, now. virtually the same. Um, I, I guess we could. Really quickly, um, New Japan. We know how much money New Japan generated in terms of revenue for the fiscal year of the recently ended fiscal year. The 12 months ending June 2023, they made $36 million in revenue. New Japan did, according to Bushi Road's filings. Um, they made a slim profit of operating income of $1.6 million. Now, they've reported in the past net income. So net income is after taxes and depreciation, amortization, all that stuff. So they might have actually not made money on New Japan this year. I don't know. But but revenue has recovered somewhat, right? It's not at the peak level in 2019 where they made $37 million, but it's, yeah, it's pretty close. Um, stardom, I don't know if I have the numbers here, but Stardom, while it made a fraction of that revenue, um, which is under Bushiroad also, was actually more profitable than New Japan was in the same period. So interesting to, uh, interesting, you know, bit of information there that, that Stardom's doing well enough to to be quite profitable um it, it also tells you how um when you look at the pandemic period for um the columns there ending july of 2020 of how running two nights at wrestle kingdom likely got them through um because they were yeah. running no shows during the pandemic they were still able to squeeze out a profit for those first six months uh well for the fiscal year but that including the first uh couple of months of the pandemic. And then the following year, which would represent all pandemic. Um, I mean, they made nothing, but they also lost nothing. Yeah. So, so stardom is under a segment called Bushi road fight, which 
people who I trust to know these things better than I do say that it's not maybe not entirely stardom, but it's probably mostly stardom. Um, there's not that much else in, in that segment. So the Bush Road Fight segment recorded $10.5 million in revenue in that year and $1.72 million in operating income. So just, just a hair above New Japan in, in operating income um, and $10.5 million. So you think about that in like U.S. wrestling terms. That's like, you know, that's a, a fifth of a, of a Saudi Arabia event for WWE. Um, you know, just to give you an idea how much bigger the, the major U.S. wrestling co- companies, especially WWE, are uh, than than this one. Um, yeah, in, in you know, in a in a couple months, I guess you could say, or maybe less than that, in a month, right? WWE makes more money than than New Japan does all year. So there you have it. That that Saudi Arabian money coming for pro wrestling. Maybe they're going to find their their next um, competitor for WWE that they will get involved with at the ground level, and then cause the stock to just nosedive once again yeah i i mean I, i've joked about this in the past but like for the money that that this that the pif is spending on w events they really could have i mean it's probably similar to what what the con family is, is invested in AEW. i would certainly look at the fact that you know they were you know reportedly uh, a player when it came to attempting to buy WWE and do they just view this as like, this is the brand. This is, this is the Kleenex of professional wrestling versus a desire to have ownership of a pro wrestling company, because yes, they could, you would certainly have to find a talent and infrastructure to do so, but the startup costs would not be the hindrance that it would be for so many other people, uh, such as. I think is they did live golf from scratch. Um, but, but they, but they definitely do want to be associated with this, you know, you know, this legacy American entertainment brand that's already embedded into the culture. Uh, I think that's a huge uh, part about being involved with WWE for them, but there you go. Uh, a fun format today. Thank you to everybody for the super chats. Uh, we got through a lot of topics uh, next week. We will be back um, guest pending. So look out for that uh, with our updates. We are working on several guests over this week, so we will keep you appraised of all of that. But Brandon will be back this coming uh, this coming Sunday with WrestleNomics Radio. Sunday yes. morning, 11 a.m. Eastern, patreon.com slash WrestleNomics. You can go catch their, their one free show of the month from this past week live from the airport as Brandon <laughs> literally boarding his flight as he is uh, rounding yeah. up charts and breaking I almost didn't make it. I, I like pulled out the the app on my phone to get on get on the flight, and I was like, "Why can't I get the QR code to to load?" And I, I'm talking to the guy at the gate, and he's like, "I'm like, what am I doing wrong here?" And he's like, "Oh, you didn't you didn't pre check in, so we figured you weren't going to come on the flight, so we scratched you off. You got to go talk to her." <laughs> but they were helpful and got me on the on the on the plane pretty quickly. Man, you would have been all out of luck, <laughs> uh, but he did make the plane and he brought you a free show this past Sunday, but uh, you're back this weekend and uh, yes. you can check out all of that at patreon.com slash Russellnomics. Um, do you think CM Punk will still be a big topic by Sunday? Less so, but I'm sure he'll rekindle his, uh, his presence. The main character in professional wrestling, without a doubt. We are back, myself and waiting tonight, 10 Eastern. We'll be here on the post YouTube channel with Rewinded Dynamite after tonight's show from Indianapolis, Indiana. So we'll be going through that. And if you are so interested on Thursday at a uh, postwrestlingcafe.com, Way and I are doing a review of UFC 200 from July of 2016. Brock Lesnar's one night return to the UFC where everyone thought he had turned back the clock. Uh, and then after, um, 
a pair of uh, pre-fight drug test results came in. It was uh, not as happy of a comeback for Brock Lesnar. But coming out of that, we learned that part-timers in WWE not subject to the wellness policy. So That's we will right. we will go into all of our UFC 200 coverage, which which Way and I covered in Las Vegas that week. So we will recount our our time in the uh, the scorching Las Vegas heat, where it was one of the crazier fight weeks with. John Jones being pulled from the card, Brock Lesnar. It was a, a wild week. Three and straight I, nights of UFC. I emailed the New York State Athletic Commission and asked them, hey, look, he just, you know, tested positive for whatever, right? He failed a, a drug test. I think it was like the foot cream or something was his his reasoning. But, um, you know, th- th- this happened in Las Vegas. Are you are you in New York where he's going to wrestle in Brooklyn for SummerSlam? Are you going to acknowledge this this suspension? And they, and they were like, <laughs> long, long story short, uh, it's up to, I think they said it's up to WWE or something. Yeah. It's in New York. You, the promoters have to be licensed, but like it is, yeah, it is a commission state. And, and as we saw with GCW last year, they can be very vigorous when it comes to, uh, licensing of professional wrestling events. But, uh, when it came to Brock Lesnar, they were, uh, yeah, they, they were, they were okay with letting it play out. Uh, but we'll talk about that more. So thanks to everyone for joining us. That is going to wrap up Pollock and Thurston. Have a great week.